Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. As we go to the Lord today, open up your Bibles to James chapter 5. If you want the sermon outline and you have a smartphone, you can do that by going to the Bible app and uh, searching for an event. You'll find the outline there, or there will be also notes on the screen as well, okay? So, we're going to be talking about perseverance in prayer. If there's ever been a time of perseverance that, or a need for perseverance has been in these days, has it not? And the thing is, is that everyone loves a good story of perseverance, don't you? I mean, we all have seen and heard stories of people that have beat great odds and adversity to accomplish great things. At 11.30 on May 29th in 1953... Edmund Hillary of New Zealand and Norway, he was a helper that would help people up the mountain and help people climb mountains. He was the first person to ever climb to the top of Mount Everest. And if you know the story behind that, there are many people that have lost their lives in in an attempt to do this. But he was the first one to actually do it. And it's pretty impressive when you think about the fact that that mountain is almost 30,000 feet above sea level. You get to a certain point, they say, and you can't even breathe. You have to go on oxygen to go the rest of the way. But also there was a lady, her name in 2002, her name was Deborah Searle, S-E-A-R-L-E. And her and her rowing partner was her husband at the time. They decided they wanted to row across the Atlantic. And about halfway through the journey, her rowing partner, her husband, got sick. And so he was helicoptered out, and she continued the journey by herself. It's amazing to think about that. And I think about the people of God who roamed in the wilderness for 40 years until God led them to their promised land. I think of Jesus, God's one and only Son, who left His throne and left His glory to walk among us on this earth so that we could have eternal life. I think of James, the one whom we're reading his writing today, the half-brother of Jesus. What he took from him to start this first church, the church of the way. And he wasn't just doing doing this for his half-brother. He was doing this for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You see, he did this until the time of his death at the hands of the Jews who stoned him to silence the gospel message, but it didn't work. So you may have your own story of perseverance here this morning, and I encourage you to share those stories with others. And you see, just by the fact of us being here today in the midst of this corona epidemic is an example of perseverance. You see, we all live in a different day than we did months ago, don't do we not? I mean, since the beginning of March, our world has changed and turned upside down. But our church is getting her legs back under her. People are beginning to serve again. The community we live in still needs the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and that's why we are here today. They need Jesus. They need to see Jesus not only in words, but in actions. You see, our families are doing the best that they can today to persevere. 
Our senior adults are doing the best that they can today to persevere. And in this day of uncertainty, we must all remember to ultimately place our trust in Christ. Because of Christ, it is because of Him that we have eternal life. But not only eternal life, we can have His power right here, right now, in the midst of this epidemic. And James does a great job of reminding us of that. So the first thing that we're going to see is that perseverance through riches is undependable and short-lived. Perseverance through riches is undependable and short-lived. I've heard stories from my grandparents and parents and others, some of you even in this room today, that are generations before me. And they tell me about the day where you could get an RC, which was a soda, for those of you that don't know, uh, a, a RC cola and a moon pie. Who knows what a moon pie is? All right, y'all are southern. So, RC and a moon pie for a nickel, or maybe a dime. I, I don't remember which one it was, but... The thing is, is that you could get a lot for a little, but the thing is, is that if you want to be honest about it, the pay scale was lower back then too. Back then, a car that would cost $20,000 then may have cost two hundred. I mean, we're just, we've added zeros to the end of all this. Yeah, we're making more money, but the costs are going up, so the ratio is about the same. And it's true, we may be paying more for things these days, But the wages and compensations have grown up as well. So literally, we're paying the same. It's just the numbers are bigger. So what do we learn about that? Money is not the answer to our problems. If you have more money, there will be more cost. With more money comes responsibility. And the more money only makes our problems bigger. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to be rich, and I'd like to try it one day, but... But for right now, I mean, there are good people, good people that have been blessed by God. And there are bad people that have accumulated wealth on the backs of people they have stepped on to get it. And you see, the thing is, is that money is not the answer to our problems. They only make our problems bigger. And I know the trap is to think that the grass is always greener on the other side. You've heard me say this before, but where the grass is greener, there's always manure, right? I mean, there's always, you think it's going to be great on the other side, but there's always, you know, you think if I could just get that job that that other person had, because they did nothing with it, and I could get more money for doing nothing, then you get that job and you realize there's a whole lot more than nothing to that job, or whatever it may be. The thing is, is that we all have struggles. Many today are living from paycheck to paycheck only to keep their payments managed. You know, we can we can get one more payment, we can get that whatever. And if we can get this payment, we can work this. And if we trade this in, we can change our payment and consolidate this payment to get this. I mean, I remember when Don and I were younger in our in our lives and, and we we found out that credit card companies love to give us credit cards. And so we would use them. And the thing is, is that we wouldn't use them for, like, fancy cars or exotic trips. I mean, this was like, I mean, we were young. We didn't have a whole lot of money. So it was like, you know, dentist appointments and doctor visits and procedures and, and all of these things. And before we knew it, we looked back and, and we might have gotten a TV or something out of it. But, I mean, we looked back at our credit. We're like, oh, my goodness, we are strapped. And praise God. 
God delivered us from that. God got a hold of our hearts. But most importantly, God got a hold of our wallets. Because when God has a hold of your heart, He has your wallet. If He doesn't have your wallet, He doesn't have your heart. And I see it, old preacher. You ain't going to talk about money this morning. I got my wallet in my hand. I got my purse clutched. This is not a sermon about money, but I'm just telling you that perseverance, depending on what's in your wallet, is short-lived. How do I know that? James reminds us of that. In verses 1 through 6, he says, Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your health and wealth, I mean, your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on that day of judgment. For listen, here the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of armies or the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day. But then we see, as we look at this, we see it says you have condemned and killed innocent people in verse 6 who do not resist you. What we see here is a few things from this passage. Number one, money cannot tell the future. Money cannot tell the future. For example, I heard on Friday on the radio, and most of you heard it by now, that our president has come down with the coronavirus. Our president and many other people in Washington, and now this is not a a political sermon, but the fact is our president is sick and we need to pray for him, whether you voted for him or not. Whether you like him or not, or agree with him or not. I've prayed for Democrat presidents. I've prayed for Republican presidents. And right now, our nation is in turmoil. How do I know? Because there are people, if, if they, if you are some of those people that have put your money in investments, do you know that the day the news broke that he was sick, the stock market fell? Just because they found out the president had COVID. I remember years ago when there was a huge crash in the market. It wasn't too long ago. Some of you were affected by that. I know my parents were affected by that. And so when you put your faith in this, this little nest egg that's going to get you through to the end of your life to help you through end of life care and, and long term care and all of these other things, when those things come out from under you, you realize how fleeting money is. Some of you that are younger, you said, I don't have to worry about that. I got money in my pocket. I got stuff in my garage. I got a house. I got everything I need. And you too right now. But it's important to remember that the things you own do not own you. And too often than not, they do. You see, James warns of troubled days ahead. We all deal with the unseen. One day we have a job. The other day we don't. One day we have our health. The other day we don't. Personal care. I I think of kids that that they spend all of their time working on that sports and the parents push them for that sport or academics or whatever it is. And they push them to get that scholarship and there's nothing wrong with that. But if they keep them out from any kind of spiritual involvement, what you've done, you've raised an athlete that is far from God. And I've seen plenty of students that have put their whole bag and their whole all their marbles in their bag in their academics only to get into something that causes their academics to tank. Or for an athlete to have a weird accident at practice, which takes them out of their career. 
world, the world we live in is fickle, folks. And when we don't make room for God, he will always take away our crutch so that we realize that we need him. And this is not mean. This is not God trying to get us down. But sometimes, and you know yourself, if you've had children or you've been around children or been responsible for children, sometimes you have to remind them that they need you because they think they don't. And sometimes God has to remind you that you need him. And it may come in the form of a personal thing or it may come in the form of an epidemic called coronavirus. One thing that you find, God is an equalizer between the poor and the rich. We will always have the have and have nots in our society. But in the eternal world, there will only be heaven and hell. Also, we see not only can our money not tell the future, our money will judge us. It says in verse 3, the, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. It's important to note that being rich is not a sin. However, depending on God using your wealth for God's glory or if you're abusing it, Because of sin. He talks in there again. He says this several times in James. Remember, he's talking to the church. Just as I'm talking to you right now. And he says, there will be a day of judgment. My friend, let me tell you. There will be a day of judgment. There will be the rapture. And then there will be the great white throne judgment. When every believer is judged according to what they have done. And what they have not done. And your U-Haul and storage units and garages filled with all the stuff you have. Won't mean squat. When we stand before the Lord at judgment, giving God the ownership of our things frees us to see them as his blessings. And this is the way they have some, t- some things come in in our life and out of our life. We have to understand that that is by God's hands. But here's the thing. I talk about the day of judgment. James talks about the day of judgment. By keeping the day of judgment in mind, we can know that anything that will not rot Wear out or fade away is not worth placing our faith in. Think about this. Of all the things that you have, if it will rot, rust, wear out, break, or fade away, is it worth putting your faith in? James says no. Don't let your wealth lead you to mistreating others as well. We saw in here that... The breakdown was about, in those days, was about 20% to 80%. 20% of the people were rich. They were the ones that hired the workers, and 80% were the ones that worked. And so the, the distribution of wealth was very unequal, much like it is today as well. And the thing is, is that there were far more blue-collar workers than there were landowners. And the thing is, is that the laborers... The the day workers, the ones that were hired, if they could not pay their debts, you know what happened to them? They were thrown in jail. So how do you pay back your debt if you're in jail and you cannot work? Well, I'll tell you how they paid it off. Their family had to go to work and their family had to pay their debts off. And if their family couldn't pay their debts off, you know what they did? They starved and they died. Very inhumane. There was no... Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, stimulus packages, and all that kind of stuff like that. The government did not help them. They were left to their own demise. It was awful. And it was evil. But that's because people worshipped money more than they worshipped God. 
Because God is what puts value on people, not the money. My friend, if your wallet is stacked today, God loves you just as much as those of you that only have lint in your pockets. Because he is the equalizer. And he loves you. And the cries of those who are oppressed are being heard by God. It says that right here in Scripture. And he will give them restitution. It may not be today, but it will be in a day to come. The second thing we see is don't get ahead or behind God. Here he's talking about patience. We all love patience, don't we? Just the other day, Donna told me that she had lost her patience with me. So as a loving husband, I had offered to help her find it. Man, I wouldn't suggest doing that. But James encourages the early church as well as you and I to exercise a little bit of patience. Verses 7 and 8 says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait patiently for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly took, or they eagerly, they eagerly look for the value harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage and for the coming of the Lord is near. Folks, just as farmers cannot manipulate the laws of nature, growth, and weather to make their crops grow stronger, you and I cannot rush God's will for our lives. Some of the most growing times of your life will be the times when God said, No, just sit here and wait. Wait on me. Like a farmer, everyone lives by faith. Just be sure your faith is in God. Because we must factor in Jesus' return. We are 18, 8, 80 or somewhere in between, folks. I don't really believe we live like Jesus Christ is coming back. That's not on our forefront. Because if we did, we would be more passionate about reaching people for Christ, reaching our families for Christ, using what God gives us to see his mission taken out. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, whoever said he who dies with the most toys wins, what do you win? What do you win? Nothing. Just something for the family to fight over when you're gone. The third thing that we see is patience means not complaining. Verse 9. Don't grumble about each other. Again, he's writing to the church here. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Folks, complaining about exercising patience means you have lost it. I can't believe the doctor's making me wait this long. I can't believe they call this fast food. I'd hardly call 20-minute wait fast food. Watch it, what you say when you go in these restaurants, especially on Sundays. <laughs> it's one thing to wait for food. It's another thing to wait for the Lord to work. And we are waiting for the Lord to return. Some things just take time. When a loved one makes one of your favorite meals, especially like around Thanksgiving time, the great thing is that you know, bless your heart, your loved ones are going to be working for three days for a meal that's going to last 20 minutes. Right? And then you have the, the turkey comas and you know, everybody just kind of zoning out for a little while watching football or doing whatever they want to do. But the thing is, is that you smell that stuff cooking all day. And you're like, oh man, I can't wait to tear into that stuff. And folks, sometimes when we wait on God, it's just sometimes whatever he's preparing for us still has to bake a little bit. 
But I guarantee you when it does come out, it's going to be delicious because it will be of God. So don't, when you're trying to be patient, don't try to blame others. Blaming others is easy because if we can blame others, we don't have to take ownership for our, our problem. We don't have to take ownership for what is our fault. So don't blame others. Because if you blame others today, you will be held accountable one day for what you, what you say. The next thing in verses 10 and 11, be encouraged by the faith of others. It says, for example, of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. If you've grown up in the church, you know who Job is. You know he is a man that God actually selected to show his glory through by allowing him to be tried in every simple way possible. As a matter of fact, God was the one who told the devil. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Wow. And Satan said, okay, let me have a crack at him. And God said, look, you can, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can do everything except what I, I mean, you can do what you want, but only to the level that I allow it. Isn't that a hard pill to swallow? Job wasn't tested because he did something wrong. Job was tested because God said, look, take my boy Job. He's going to give you a lesson on what it means to glorify God. And my friends, some days you feel like that. I feel like that, where God has put something on us. And it's not because we've done something wrong, but God wants to show his glory through us. And James mentions Job here, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Folks, what we learn from the story of Job is this. That our struggles never go unrewarded. Honor comes from struggling, not riches. Courage is found in the hope of Jesus' return. And Job is listed as an example here. And the thing is, everything that Job lost, God restored tenfold. If you are suffering today, I want you to know that you will be rewarded Maybe not in this life, but definitely in the next one if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So you must take inventory of your life, just like I must. Because some of our greatest battles prepare you for what's coming next. Let me say that one more time. Some of our greatest battles prepare us for what's coming next. Some of you have been through something. You say, there is no way I could have gone through it. I think of some of the things in my life where if somebody would have said, Before they happen, look, in a couple of years, you're going to go through the loss of your parents within five months. You're going to go through a church bus wreck. You're going to go through, you know, all these different things that are going on. I said, there's no way I could do that. But you know what? Those things that I went through beforehand prepared me for those, just as those things have prepared me for what's going on now. And I know if you are a believer, you've seen that in your life. And if you're not a believer, I want you to know that there is no act, there are no accidents when it comes to God. The things that you go through prepare you for tomorrow. They are to make you patient and to build your endurance, just like James says here. And then we see 
in verse 12, finally, be real. Be real. Don't puff yourself up, he says in verse 12. But most of all, when someone's writing a letter and they say, but most of all, you know, this is probably the, the main point of the letter, right? But most of all, my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. What he's addressing here is a false humility. <clears throat> During the day when this was written, there were many religious folks that when they were going to do something, they would make a public spectacle of it. They would say, I, by the name of God, vow that I shall, and they will say it loud so everybody can hear. And they'll say, I promise to God and I promise to you, almost like a politician. I will do this and that. And they just puff it up and they look bigger and bigger and bigger. I got news for you. Jesus wasn't impressed with that. He says in James or in Matthew 5:37, Jesus himself said, "Just say a simple yes, I will or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one." Folks, we need to stop telling people what we'll do and not do and just do them. Because because God has called us to do that. Cuz I'm telling you, if you have a reputation of being a puffed up beggar, then you will have a hard time getting people to believe a word you say. If no one can trust your words, they won't trust you. And that is a terrible testimony to have as a believer. Finally, he says to be decisive. If you go back in in James 1, verses 6 through 8, we read several weeks ago. He talks about the fact But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea, and that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And here's the the cap. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Some translations say no man can serve two masters. They will grow to love one. And hate the other. You know that to be true. If your loyalty is divided between God and the world, you are going to be like a boat without an anchor. Back and forth. But perseverance begins by keeping yourself in check. That's what we've learned today. We're going to learn next week about the power of prayer that can come to a a, a Christian in their daily lives. But in order to pray and for us, our prayers to be heard, for our prayers to be meaningful, we must pray according to his will. And the only way that we can pray according to his will is to check ourselves with these things that James has already mentioned. We need to be a person who is determined to persevere because some of you will have a prayer that won't be answered in one day. Some of you have prayers that may not be answered in your lifetime. A person who trusts God for who he is, not for his blessings. A person who is humble and real. A person who puts the needs of others before their own. You see, these things are only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to have the Holy Spirit in your life is to be a believer. So if you've been one of those people that have been self-reliant, And you put your trust in money. You put trust in your 401k. You put trust in in all of your investments. Or you've, you know, the thing is, being rich 
Some of you say, well, preacher, you ought to look at who you're talking to in this community. Look at our church. We're not a money church. We're not. I understand that. <clears throat> but you realize those of you in here that have the least amount of money would still be rich in the eyes of somebody else in other parts of our world. Do you realize along the Mississippi River there are places that have third world country conditions that they're living in? Just the fact that you go home and you have a roof over your head and a floor that's not made of dirt means that you are rich. So don't think this is a message just for people that have a lot of money. We're all rich compared to somebody else. And I think it's important that we remember that and we count our blessings for that. So let go of the sin of wanting to run your life into the ground and trust God today to lead you in the direction he has created you to live. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our time together today. I thank you for your word. And it's my prayer as we continue this week. The Lord, you would remind us of these words. That if our trust is in anything but you, we need to realign ourselves. Because there is nothing worth putting above you. Your word says that there are to be no idols before you. And God, if there is something between us and you, may you remove it. Whether it be easy or hard, the end goal is for us to be closer to you. May our folks here be brave enough to pray that. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.